concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? Tons of popcorn there. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go climb a tree to go eat it. <laughs> it was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Oh, good lord. It's. It's unbelievable. It's. It's horrible. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 74, David Cronenberg's The Fly. Yes, Der Flieger. That's the fly in German. Yeah, and <laughs> I was thinking there's some bathroom graffiti that sticks in my mind and in some bar, and in the stall it said, eat shit, millions of flies can't be wrong. Flies are disgusting. Mm -hmm. uh, you associate them with hunger and death because you see those charity organizations that try and raise funds for starving children in the African subcontinent and they have flies over their face and you associate that with nastiness because they, you know, they landed shit and, uh, they, and they eat us when we die. Mm -hmm. So flies are not nice. In this movie, obviously, uh, we never see the Brundle fly eating shit, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say that in my opinion, this is very close to being the very best horror remake of all time. Uh, neck and neck with the thing. Carpenter's the thing. Um, and it's also one of the best horror films of the 80s. I mean, this this is an incredible movie. And when I saw it uh, last night in preparation for the podcast, revisiting it for the first time in a number of years, uh, I was shocked at how effective it remains. I mean, this is a film that does not date at all. No, and it's, it's strange, too. Is when I first came to this, I was 12. I was at a, some sort of party, like a birthday party at a friend's place. And we watched it after watching probably two or three sort of more mainstream typical slashers and I distinctly remember not being impressed and falling asleep mm. and but of course <laughs> I was far too young to be swayed by you know the amazing allegories and subtext mm. and I just thought it was you know when you're used to you know bevy of topless beauties getting slaughtered in the in the forest you're accustomed to a certain type of film this was way too heady for our young minds to process well, no, I mean, as far as David Cronenberg goes, I mean, you'll never get that, you know, cheap exploitative, you know, bevy of uh, new <laughs> beauties getting hacked up in the woods by some machete-willing madman. No. Tons of gratuitous nudity. No, you're going to get a lot of 
very heady, heady horror. Heady horror, very intelligent stuff. And of course, this movie is a, um, a remake slash updating of the 1950s uh, Creature Feature the Fly starring Vincent, <laughs> Vincent Price. Christ. But, uh, you know, I mean, this movie takes that movie and just turns it upside down and all around. On its head? You could say? On its head? Yeah, well, it's just because <laughs> I know Cronenberg was teed off about the. Uh, the, the original depiction of the fly oh, okay. that head the big was head. Yeah, disproportionate yeah, yeah. and he thought, oh, why didn't he just turn fully into right, like right. a more you know accurate representation of the fly? Well, it's interesting because when Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum, who, who uh, of course stars as uh, Seth Brundle, you know, who becomes the, the titular fly, mm -hmm. uh, made this movie, he actually wrote a letter to Vincent Price and he said, Dear Mr. Price, I hope you enjoy our film as much as I enjoy yours. And it was a very touching letter and Vincent Price wrote him back and then he went and saw the movie. And wow. this was in 86, 87, so Vincent Price was an elderly gent at this yeah. point. And he went and he paid his, uh, you know, however much it cost to go see the movie, sat down, saw it, and wrote back to Goldman and said, I saw your film and it was absolutely wonderful, up to a point. I think it went a bit too far. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's understandable because, yeah. you know, like... It's you know, a different, different time. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, this is not a movie for the faint of heart, but I'm kudos to Vincent Price at... Uh, for going and seeing it, and for, for writing back to Jeff and everything, but uh, yeah, no, as I said before, this does not date. This was from 1986, but if it wasn't for maybe a few hairstyles, you would not yeah. know. I mean, this could be shot yesterday. I mean, and, and, and the technology also that is used to transmogrify, if that's even a word, I hope so, <laughs> transform Dr. Brundle into, into the, the creature, it's pretty hilarious. And I guess mm -hmm. it was inspired by like Ducati motorbikes or something, well, like it, the it, aesthetic it, of the machine. It has a certain you know, Frankenstein kind of feel. Actually, so it's, it's both modern yeah. and corny, old-fashioned. It, it could fit into any time. Like I, I never thought, got the sense that, oh boy, this is dated, like some sci-fi Films. I thought the telepods had a timeless look to it. In fact, as you said before, it was inspired by uh, a bike that Cronenberg had, a uh, Ducati mm -hmm. motor, uh, motorcycle, the, the engine cylinder. To me, it looked almost Geiger-esque. It looked like something yeah, yeah. Geiger would have um, designed. Beyond the telepods, yeah, okay, the computer was a little hokey, but yeah. other than that, I mean, no. I mean, this is, a, like I said before, this is a movie that looks as fresh today as it did almost 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, 86, 96, 30 years. Yeah. Wow. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but anyway, so when this movie begins, we have um, Jeff Goldblum at a party. And he's talking with uh, a reporter by the name of Veronica. And this is played by Gina Davis. He mentions that he's working on something uh, that will, I mean, this is a great pickup line, something that will change the world and human life as we know it. Come back to my place. I'm yeah, going to change human life as we know it, baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of funny because, you know, Seth Brendel, I mean, he's certainly not uh, your common um, good-looking, square-jawed ladies' man. You know, he's kind of a nebulous, nerdy scientist, although with a great physique. Yeah. Um, but... At the same time, he's pretty smooth in terms of picking up uh, this report of Veronica and taking her back to his place. Now, as he takes her back, and it's in the CD warehouse in Toronto. I mean, this movie was shot in yep. Toronto, uh, which I love because there was no uh, attempts to hide the fact that it was in Toronto. It's there's certain scenes in Kenston Market. You see yep. the CN Tower. Great Cronenbergian irony, because what is Cronenberg known for? Well... Body horror. Body horror. Yeah. Exactly. Now, when he when he shows the inside of the body, what is, it's completely fucking disgusting. Mm -hmm. He turns the body inside out. In other words, you look at the body, the body is something beautiful, you know? You look at a you know, work of art, you, you look at a gorgeous body, 
you turn that thing inside out, it's just disgusting. It's full of like, you know, blood and sinew and muscles yeah. and disgusting thing. Anyway, Goldblum uh, says to Gina Davis, when she looks and goes, oh, this is where you live, he goes, oh, it's cleaner on the inside. Yes. Which yeah. to me was a <laughs> yeah. great piece of irony. Really, in my opinion, Cronenberg was referring to the body, but the body, of course, is not cleaner on the inside. It's a lot no. dirtier on the inside. In fact, you know, and I'm going to maybe get a little bit... Uh, you know, more um, anatomically dirty here, but maybe not. Yeah, again, we, we marvel the human body, you know, those of us that look at the body and go, wow, I mean, what, what, what a body she's got, right? And we don't yeah. think about things like secretions. We don't think about excrement. We don't think about, you know, all the, real, uh, all the shit that comes out of the body, right? Well, especially as the body goes into physical decline. And as, you as the body, it, it, yeah, and you lose control, especially as you age. And this could be seen as an allegory for facing your own mortality or the aging mm -hmm. process. But some, uh, as you pointed out before we started recording here, also uh, the AIDS virus. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I'm not the. I, this is not original. Uh, other people have said this movie is an allegory for the AIDS virus. And I mean, because of the uh, the time that it was lensed, you know, in 1986. I mean, AIDS HIV was something that was still very much uh, misunderstood. A lot of people didn't quite understand. People you know, thought it just came from monkeys, and yeah. that, that you know, a monkey will play prominently in this film, as we'll see. Yeah, people really didn't know a lot, and why gay men were dropping like flies, if you will, in in San Francisco, and yeah. this came at that time. I, you know, and but sure the, thing, the, the thing with the with the AIDS virus, and I mean, this is back before they had all the medication they have now. You got it, and you just deteriorated. Your body deteriorated from. The inside out, you know, mm -hmm. you would get lesions on your face. I forget what the technical term is, mm -hmm. carcinosomasomoma, yeah. something like that. I mean, Brundle's get starts getting some of that when he transforms, and on and on and on. And I mean, I don't think it's an accident that he's involved in this brand new relationship with this uh, this, this you know, attractive woman. They meet, they fall in love, they have sex. Next yeah. thing you know, he's got something inside him, i.e., a virus. Next thing you know, he's falling apart. Mm -hmm. There's also illusions of promiscuity. And so on. So there's a lot of allegorical elements to this. Well, and well, as I said, well, the aging process. Initially, he's this young, robust, spry, athletic, can do anything. And basically, he's a teenager to a young adult, and he's flying all over the ceiling, climbing all over the place. And then toward the end, he's just a shell of his former self. Yep. So yeah, either one. There's that too. Some people have also said that it's uh, allegorical of cancer. You know what? However you want to interpret it, is uh, <laughs> is fantastic. I, I maintain it's. HIV AIDS, but what have you. So, you know, he, he takes her up there and he shows her the, the telepods and she looks at it and goes, I don't get it. And he goes, <laughs> you get it all right. You just can't handle it. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting because there's there's a certain element, even though he's a sort of nebuchadnezzar scientist, there's a certain element of hubris to Brundle. You know yeah, I mean? and that's uh, the themes that that Cronenberg likes to explore as someone who who both warns about scientism and celebrates science and that comes from his background at the University of Toronto where he's actually studied science and he was doing a BSc before he switched over so his, I love these these elements in his horror and you know he doesn't decry it but he, he celebrates it and warns at the same time which you don't you know see very often and also there is this um, undercurrent of repressed rage within Brundle we even see this before he starts to transform and, of course, when he becomes more and more um, insectoid, less human, the rage, of course, becomes more and more pronounced. <laughs> and <laughs> then it gets really, really unbridled. But, I mean, so, you know, we've got the hubris of man. We've got an allegory for either disease or aging. We've got, you know, rage, the, uh, the repressed rage of human beings. There's another sort of character in this uh, trio. 
because we have Veronica the reporter. We and, have and her editor. Sta um, Stathis Borans. Yeah, you've got to love the Cronenberg names. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny about Stathis because, I mean, ostensibly, you would think to yourself, well, boo, hiss, this guy's a villain. And when we first see him, he's in Veronica's apartment. He got in with a key because she gave him a key way back when they were dating. Now she doesn't want to have a key. And he's taking a shower. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing in my, yeah. in my shower? And he goes, oh, I, I just felt a little bit scummy. And right there, that's like, you're thinking to yourself, oh, great line. I mean, this guy's a scumbag. And, yeah. he, and he does do some certain things that are scummy. But at the end of the day, he sort of ends up becoming the hero. It's, I would still say there's a cautionary tale against office romances, but anyway. Well, there is that too, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think we've talked a lot, uh, enough about some of the themes and stuff. Let's talk about the plot. So, yeah, he takes her back. Shows her this teleportation machine that he creates, which which ostensibly is supposed to teleport. Asks Veronica to take off her stocking, which she does, and he's able to teleport her from one of the pods to yeah. the other. Not a problem. But when it comes to uh, organic matter versus inorganic mm -hmm. matter, then we got a problem because at then one point he tries to uh, teleport a baboon, and uh, basically turns the baboon inside out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is determined? is that it's the flesh. The machine does not know how to deal with flesh. And that word is repeated again and again and again, flesh. David Cronenberg. And I the mean, new flesh. Exactly. Yeah. That's another recurrent theme in the work of Cronenberg. Flesh. Um, oh, yeah, and generally the transfer of information is the theme, whether it be the dead zone or uh, scanners. He figures out, I mean, this is through some experimentation with a steak. <laughs> That'll turn you into a vegan, really. Yeah, the, the machine does not, does not love the flesh like no. we do. And then, yeah. so, so, so he reprograms the machine, and then him and Veronica are celebrating because, um, I guess he may start, you know, has a breakthrough about flesh and how to teleport flesh. And um, then she finds uh, a letter from Status, or whatever his name is, Status, yeah. And... Um, she has to run off because he's ready to publish a story about uh, Brennan Tele right away. Teleporter house, if you will. Okay, never mind. Talk about the steak. Yeah, the teleporter <laughs> house. Okay, that's fine. All right, we'll let that one slide. I'll give you that one. <laughs> so Veronica rushes out to stop Stathis from um, publishing this article on Brundle before you know it's he's ready to be published, <laughs> and Brundle. Of course, with his repressed rage, his jealousy, he starts to drink, he starts to get a little drunk, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to go into the machine on my own. He goes into the machine all on, by himself, all by himself because, I mean, he had successfully, at this point now, teleported a baboon. Well, they're waiting, because, of course, the first baboon got turned inside out. This one was successful. They were waiting for test results to see if the baboon was okay, but because he was drunk, because he was pissed off, he went in by himself, but unfortunately, he was, he was alone because, unbeknownst to him, a little pest made its way into the machine, a fly, and uh, when it's over, when the teleport happens, we get the, this iconic scene where the telepod opens, the door opens, the dry ice flows out, there's Seth Brundle, he gets out naked, and he asks the question rhetorically to the audience, am I different somehow? The answer is very very different. Yeah, yeah, and at what point is he is he still a fly? Is he he's some sort of human fly hybrid? And that's I guess uh, bodily extensions. And obviously Cronenberg is a big fan of Marshall McLuhan and extensions of ourselves, and that is explored in Existence. And so he is 
transforming himself into something else, some well, essence of something, essentialist first, yeah. something. What is he? At first, he thinks that he's just improved. He feels that because I mean, right away he's got increased strength, he's got increased dexterity, virility, yeah, virility, and and, and he thinks that somehow teleporting just makes you better. Mm-hmm. But really, he's got and he's gaining some of the qualities of the fly, right? And that's why he's able to he has increased strength and dexterity and whatnot. What he doesn't realize is that no, he is now. I mean, he's transmogrified with the fly. Nowadays, we, have, we talk about uh, recombinant DNA and everything, you know? Well, fly, he becomes, he, it's his it's, it's life cycle, right? So his entire life is sped up and shrunk down, and his metabolism goes through just crazy. He just lives a lifetime in the span of a couple days. So, yeah, so anyway, so as he's having um, relations with Veronica, she notices that he's got very coarse hairs on Bristles. his back. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the, the technical term of sete, right? And these are the hairs that are on a fly, the bristle hairs that actually allow the fly and other insects to adhere to the deer. Exactly. And at first, he doesn't think much of it, but like, yeah, he starts to get these, these leashes on his face and stuff, and his, uh, he craves sugar, and his um, aggressiveness starts to increase. And he, and he wants Veronica to go into the machine with him, because he thinks that, you know, hey, like, I, I, I've become better, now you can become better. They have a big argument. He storms out. As you said before, he goes into a bar. There's a arm wrestling competition going on. <laughs> yes. And this is great for us Canadians because uh, he's challenged to an arm wrestling match by uh, former Canadian heavyweight champion uh, George Shavalo, who uh, famously never got knocked off his feet. Uh, Muhammad Ali, who fought him, dubbed him the washerwoman because he would get guys on the ropes and just hammer them like a, a washerwoman beating her clothes. So he also fought George Foreman and whatnot. So he's a legend in these parts. And it was amazing to see the two of them engaged in an arm wrestling match and but of course flies you know can are incredibly strong (laughs) for their size much more so than a human comparatively speaking and Brundle rips this guy's arm right off in a fantastic scene said before, I mean, there's a sort of um, acceleration and then a you know a deceleration so he grows hair like a you know pubescent like a, you know, preteen, and then all of a sudden he degenerates. But then he looks in the mirror, and all of a sudden his his, uh, his fingernails, fingernails fall off, well, and he starts to be emitting pus and spewing pus. And he's he asks again. He asks a question. He's, he's literally ejaculating pus, and, he's, and he goes, "Is this how it starts? Am I dying?" And you know, this transformation of him into the fly. Because now he's starting to you know realize what actually happened. It's it's just an unbelievable transformation. I mean, the makeup effects are completely uh, through the roof. I, you know. It's, Amazing. At one point, Veronica comes in and he can barely walk. He's walking around on two canes. His yeah, face is really, really tough. Is 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 just absolutely unrecognizable. And he says, "Anytime I look in the mirror, it's someone different. Uh, someone different. I believe I have a form of cancer." His ear falls off, and then he says to Veronica, "Help me, please help me." Yeah, yeah. And this is very odd to the uh... the original. But mm-hmm. again, like look at the difference because in the original, yes, it's an iconic, very eerie scene. When you got the little fly, the human head in the, in the <laughs> yeah. web, he's going, help yeah. me, help yeah. me, help me. Where this is a very somber, well, help me, please and, help and, me. You know, and Cronenberg also directed Spider, right? The insect motif going on there. You know, that wasn't probably one of my favorites, but again, that was the the spider uh, allegory mm-hmm. of this guy caught in this in this trap that he can't get out of, which mm-hmm. is a mental trap in his case. Well, I mean, Veronica's in a trap too because mm-hmm. she finds out that she's pregnant with uh, with Brendel's baby, and again, I mean, maggots. Yeah. Well, so obviously, the psychology of being impregnated by a fly creature 
when a fly gives really, you know, the baby flies of maggot is really unsettling and disgusting, and she has an incredibly vivid, vivid dream. dream. Of giving birth, of give, right? yeah. Where she's uh, basically, yeah, she's giving birth, and the uh, the obstetrician is played by David Cronenberg. Although we don't, we can't see his full face because he's no, wearing a mask and everything. And she gets unmistakable birth brow. <laughs> to this gigantic larva. Yeah. So, um, but there's that whole thing too. I mean, she's, she still loves a part of her. Still loves uh, Seth Brundle, who's uh, basically now referring to himself as the Brundle Fly. And she doesn't know whether to get rid of the baby or not. But then the more she sees of Brundle's deterioration. And the more he also, not just deteriorates physically, but mentally, she doesn't know what the fuck's going on inside her, and she wants to get rid of the baby. You know, one's troubled relationship with one's children. I mean, another thing, this is another thing uh, Cronenberg is revisiting. Yeah, the brood. Thing, yes, the yeah. brood. Mm -hmm. This is like everything he's ever, you know, discussed in his film all in one. That's mm -hmm. true. So there, there's a scene that is just so fucking scary. It, it, like, I mean, in horror, we see so many, like, jump scares. There was like, oh, here we go again. You know what? This particular scene, I I I jumped. I jumped. I was not expecting it. I hadn't seen this movie in about six, seven years. I was lulled into a false sense of security. When this happened, I fucking almost shot my pants. So in between all the all the headiness and all the uh, themes, there's some real fright in this. Mm -hmm. There's incredible um, gore, and there is unbelievable makeup effects, unbelievable performances. Goldblum when he's in full fly. Regalia encased in prosthetics from head to toe, and his eyes are just darting about. I mean, you know, you see the soul of the man within the monster. I mean, there's so much going on here. And it's an interesting performance, too, is he's sort of uh, known for, uh, when I think of, like, I don't know, maybe Law and Order or Jurassic Park or something, he's somehow separate from, like, he's got a, he's a little bit, I don't want to say in a condescending way or disparaging, he's a little bit, of, not above the material, but he's got a sort of an ironic distance, mm -hmm. and he's an odd guy. Independent like, state, the same thing, yeah. He's a physically, like, obviously good-looking guy, but there's something about him that he's he's got a bit of a grin, and he's somewhat detached from the proceedings, and that just may, it adds to the another layer of ambiguity, where it's mm -hmm. also a technical achievement of having him climb the ceiling, and I think they built, like, some sort of Ferris wheel type device, I forget the technical term for it, where you flip it and you can, you know, show someone walking on the, on the floor and they reverse it and he's on the ceiling mm -hmm. and it's just, it was an amazing achievement on yeah, all just, fronts. Just lines, I mean, philosophical lines, I mean, he starts talking about uh, insect politics and we can't trust the insect and at one point he says, I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it and now the dream is over and, yeah. and then, you know, so it's almost um, bringing it back to like a sort of Kafka-esque metamorphosis type thing. But ultimately, hey, the original fly was a creature feature, this is a creature feature yeah. uh, too. It is hard because at the very end, when he transforms into the actual like full-fledged fly, like there's no more Brundle, like this is the fly, it's a fucking tour de force. And it's interesting because really, um, the character Seth Brundle, i.e. Brundle fly, i.e. the fly, when he, you know, he goes from being hubristic, he goes from being, wow, like look how, look how improved I am, look how great I am. He, he's still desperate, there's a desperate attempt to return to normalcy at all costs, despite the fact that, um, you know, at first he was quite hubristic about it, he loved the transformation, he loved what it was doing to him physically, but as he started to deteriorate, he realized that, you know, I want to go back to what I used to be, and this, this is, this, again, this could be allegorical of somebody who's growing older, and does you know is looking back on their youthful days with nostalgia? This could be somebody who had a one-night stand at a bar and contracted a virus and just wishes if only I didn't do that. If mm -hmm. only I wore protection. In other words, 
he wanted to go back. But, of course, the die has been cast. It's too late. He's doomed. And just to, again, talk about another uh, motif that goes through Cronenberg's uh, films, the very last time we see him before his demise he is yet again uh, morphed with something. This time he's actually morphed with the Telebot, and this is basically flesh morphing with machine, which we saw in, in Videodrome. This movie is basically an encapsulation of everything Cronenbergian. So it's, it's a triumph. We're not going to say what we've learned because we, there's so much. We're just touching the, this is the patina right here. We've, there's so much more we could have delved into, but mm. the more you think about it, the more things that you, we could have possibly come up with. It's well, a little bit like Kafka's castle. It, it's, it's, there's so many interpretations, but four and a half star for me, five, uh, one of the, okay, the top horror remake of all time, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, one of my absolute favorites. It usurps its, again, 1950s progenitor mm -hmm. in that case, and this one usurps the original, becomes its own entity. Right, it well, I, I, alone I, I, I'm fond of the original, but I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I'm fond of it for what it is, and that's the creature feature. This thing is, as you said before, its own entity. As I said at the very beginning of this podcast, the two best horror remakes are this and The Wicker Man. No, I'm just kidding. This, <laughs> and, this and The Thing. Uh, and I'm going to give it five stars because, you know what, man? I mean, five stars, in my opinion, are reserved for classics. This is a classic. This is undeniably one. So, yeah. this is a five-star film all the way, and the only thing I can say that I, I, um, I learned from this movie is that David Cronenberg is, um, man, when it comes to horror auteurs, I mean, he's in, he's in a different league. He's just one of the absolute finest. And, and after, you know, after A Dangerous Method and that sort of kind of stilted, uh, you know, sort of costume drama, I, I would love it. If, <laughs> as much as I liked, you know, Eastern Promises and all the gangster movies, I would love if he returned to the kind of body horror that now his son... Brandon is doing with antiviral, and I would love it if he would just do like a blow your doors off. Well, it's amazing because he wrote a novel, and to be honest, with you, the title of the novel is escaping me right now. But I read it, and I mean, this came out last year, and this novel was like it, this. This is like the Lost Cronenberg movie. This was a fantastic Cronenbergian horror movie in novel form. Yeah. And if only, I, I don't know why he sort of he stopped making Cronenbergian horror. As you said, his son, although he only made one feature, we don't know yet. You know, the, the verdict is still out. If he's, uh, you know, a chip off the old block, yeah, or just a one hit wonder. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, we, I, hey, I, I think Cronenberg's gonna gonna do it. He's gonna come hey, out. Hey, maybe he has another body horror inside him, if you will. <laughs> you know, we can only hope. Yeah, but any, anything he puts out, I will watch. It really doesn't matter. Although I have not seen Stereo or some of his really early stuff. Okay. So I'm really looking forward to it. have I seen his last film, Maps of the Stars? Have you seen oh, that no, I didn't do that. My no. antipathy towards Robert Pattinson. You know, so no, that was Cosmopolis. Then you made Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. See, this is what they were saying. Yeah. Come back to us, Cronenberg. Come back yeah. to us, okay? We need you to make more of these sorts of movies. Very true. Yeah. All right, well, I think uh, that's, a good, that's a, as good a place as any to end this on. So. Yeah, and uh, be sure to check out our site for reviews, interviews, top ten lists, and movie giveaways, www.reallyawfulmovies.com. And on Twitter, awful underscore movies. Check us out, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.